2: can save some real money on Princeton University Press Books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Chris Holmes, and this is Burned by Books. In the early days of Burned by Books, I started a list of dream guests for the show. Near the very top of that list was Marcy Dermansky, whose five novels have established her as one of the most unique voices in American literature. Marcy writes unforgettable women characters who unburden themselves of societal expectations and demand a place in the textured complexities of human experience. They are funny, wily, eccentric, often kind, and occasionally wise. Marcy pulls no punches, and her characters are treated to an encyclopedia of pitfalls, emotional, physical, and existential. But these storms of conflict come to the reader with an uncommon tenderness, a love for the weirdo and the misfit, with the understanding that those who don't quite fit in often have the most to say about the broken world. Her latest novel, Hurricane Girl, out today from Knopf, is one of my favorites of hers, and it is already receiving rave reviews from the New York Times, Kirkus, and others. If you aren't already a Dermansky fan, Hurricane Girl is a great place to start your new literary love affair. I can't wait for you to hear more about this new novel, which follows Alison Brody on a trip across the eastern coast of the U.S. after a traumatic brain injury. It is funny and furious, it delights and challenges, and you will not soon forget its narrative voice. It's my honor to present my interview with Marcy Dermanski. Marcy Dermanski is a one-of-a-kind, attempts to compare her five madcap, comic serious, daydreaming, bizarre, loving, chaotic, political, unhinged novels to other contemporary writers end in failure, and great embarrassment on the part of the hapless critic. I became furious the other day, reading one such facile attempt to compare her work to Otessa moshve I'm still angry about it. While comparisons are futile, one can make some broad generalizations about certain concerns that propel her work, even with the understanding that the aura and ethos that come along with the act of reading her novels may evaporate some or all of those things. To start, Marcy is deeply invested in imagining women characters who exist within the full spectrum of human experience. They feel the world fully and they act on those feelings unencumbered by social expectations of their behavior. Sometimes this means that they act in unexpected or antisocial ways, as is the case with the protagonist from Marcy's novel, Bad Marie, who is certainly quite bad and allowed to be so without castigation or moralizing from the narrative voice. Marcy's novels play with the affect and sensation of living in a nonsensical world. Her characters often feel like strangers in a strange land, never quite at home. And Marcy loves disobeying the rules for the rise of action and drama, with her characters so often acting rashly and changing the direction of the plot and the arc of the building action. An anti-Chekhovian, Marcy always leaves guns and vases and cars lying around in every scene, awaiting a singular act of violence that may never come, or which may come too early or too late for our readerly sensibilities. Marcy's latest novel, Hurricane Girl, brings us another unforgettable character, Alison Brody, whose rashness and seeming detachment are matched only by her commitment to finding a place in the world that is truly her own. Alison has just fled an abusive relationship, albeit one that provided a great deal of privilege, and has spent her own savings to buy a cottage on the ocean. When that cottage is lost in a freak storm, what little control Alison had, felt, spins slowly out of her reach first with another violent interaction with a man that leaves her with severe brain trauma, and later in Allison's suspicions that everyone around her would like her to be someone else. In classic Dermansky style, what could be a horror novel is in fact a comedy, often riotously funny even in scenes of intense dread and violence. The final product is a novel that entertains even as it disorients. Forcing us to admit that Allison's brain injury may in fact be a source of clarity and insight into a world that operates with a cruel logic. As with her other novels, the joy of Hurricane Girl came for me in its surprises. Having read a great deal professionally and for pleasure, I can be jaded by cookie-cutter plots and expected characters. Marcy's work is never expected. In fact, it cracks eggs over the heads of expectations. In its starred review of Hurricane Girl, the Kirkus Review wrote that the only problem with the novel is that it comes to an end. I couldn't agree more. Welcome to the show, Marcy Dermanski.
0: Thank you, Chris. That was it's so t- interesting to listen to. I really love it.
2: Well, I'm so happy you're here. I'm a longtime mm-hmm. fan of your work, and it has been uh, a goal of mine to have you on, on the show, and I'm, I'm so pleased you agreed to come on great um so hurricane (coughs) girl begins as a kind of room of one own story allison has left her abusive movie producer boyfriend moving into a small beach house in north carolina bought with the money she earned for a screenplay this is perfection for allison she has the freedom and agency to do as she likes when she likes and she is unburdened by the whims and abuses of men this is something that you return to in many of your novels. Can you talk about women's agency and why it's important to your fiction?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I always am writing about women women's, women, characters. And I, I obviously that's because um, I'm a woman. And I feel like as a writer, I should be able to go anywhere into anybody's heads and do whatever I want. But I think I really write for the most part, part to please myself. Like when I'm writing, my audience in that moment is me it feels very selfish and so i'm just entertaining myself as i go i once had a, um i was once it was like my privilege but i was interviewed by emily st john mandel and, and she asked me she's like do you, you know you don't ever really write about men characters i was like i don't i really was caught like completely unaware like i feel like i really need other people to read my work and tell me mm. what i'm doing a <laughs> introduction but so i actually did that i did that with very nice this is my previous novel as there were five points of view and two of them are men and I think I was really trying to like prove something like that wasn't that wasn't accidental I was like I can do this <laughs> and, and it was fun and one of the one of the male characters he was a writer though and he was like half now half me like I gave him all my thoughts anyway and yeah. um yeah so I think it's I think it's like that sort of selfish part of writing is that this is this is I, I guess men are foreign to me. Hi, Chris. And so <laughs> I, I, I just—I mean, even I know that you know they're half the population. But so I think my narrative is just geared to being female. The, um, and you had a daughter. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You're pulling back <laughs> the the curtain on one thing that I think is is really important about writing, and that it—if yeah. it doesn't please you, and if it's it's not for for you in some important way, then it's probably not going to be very good.
0: Yeah, I think that might be it. I, I, I actually, I mean, I don't know because writing is a lot of work, but I feel like sometimes with writing, if I, this isn't for other people, this is for me, if I try too hard, it actually doesn't work. And, and I feel like as, as artists, sometimes we tend to believe that if something comes easy, that it's not good. And I, I've kind of had to, to tell myself that's not true. The easiest writing comes to me is almost like the better it will be. And I definitely revise and I definitely work. But when things come naturally, they, 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 they work better. And so sometimes I even hear that some writers just tell me that they, they hate writing. And I'm like, oh, I actually love writing. That's when everything happens. You know, I hate sometimes sitting down to write. I totally have that. I absolutely procrastinate. Sometimes I have trouble with ideas. But when I'm writing, it's just the very, very best.
2: Did, did your character, Allison come naturally to you?
0: Yeah I mean I don't I don't plot things and so I've been thinking about that question. Allison what happens is I write and the character sort of develops as I go so what happens to her really what happens in the middle of the book changes the beginning of the book so she she kind of developed and that's what I had to do. I had to I think the first scene I had to write so many different times where I just set everything up about there's so much in it when I look at it there's a movie producer there's her father and the inheritance and it's just all in there so this book I mean it's not too this book is not me I have never had a brain injury um never had a movie producer boyfriend I've never (laughs) had a beach house I've always wanted to have a beach house like I feel like beach houses are completely out of reach like economically like I don't Mm -hmm. Bucket list goal. I'm going to achieve. So it was kind of mean to, of me. I gave Alison a beach house <laughs> to get away from her, and I think that was that was the start of the book. Was was that cruelty on my part? So she developed, and I gave her tons of stuff that was mine, and then I let her go off on her own.
2: I I love that you see it as a as, as a cruelty on your part that you took yeah. away the house. It certainly <laughs> is it. It feels cruel to her and and because it's so it's so random uh, and and part of the the wilds of nature itself. Uh, yeah. it's it's impossible really to blame anyone. and yet she she really kind of blames the world because right. it is such an unfair thing when she's had such a string of unfair things happen. There's, there's a tone and affect to Hurricane Girl that feels really dreamlike, even out of body. One could point to Allison's brain injury, but it seems like you're trying to represent the unreality of reality. Kevin Wilson, another writer I love, calls it the sensation of being alive, of navigating a world so strange that it's almost a dream. How did you find this unique narrative tone? And is there something about the world now that demands a detached or otherworldly affect in
1: fiction?
0: There's something about the world right now that I think so. I think it's also just real life. I mean, I wrote most of this book before the pandemic, but I wrote the final scene where a lot of stuff is really crazy. I wrote that during the pandemic. And that wasn't your question. But I feel like just to sort of live a happy life, like I feel like we all want to live happy lives. I mean, I do, I really do. And if we were to just think about what's happening, like in the world and with global warming or its climate change right now, or guns, if we really just thought about what was happening in the world, I don't think any of us could actually be happy. But who does that help if we're not happy? Because everything is so bad, it's just luck. Like life is just really like so much luck. I'm like not me. Not me, that's how I feel whenever I read about these crap school shootings, not my kid. You know, it's not me. So, I mean, maybe that puts us all into a dreamlike stance or maybe I'm just making that up. I don't know, but I mean, I didn't like, here's the thing with I write, I don't think I was trying to write a dreamlike voice. And I wish, you know, I, I mean, what I do think, I, I, I've i thought about this, this writing book by Elizabeth Gilbert, I think it's called Big Magic, is I feel like when you write, you're really just getting a story from nowhere, it's coming into your head, and so I feel like you might. I feel like I, I don't want to be all woo woo and say like I'm in a trance state when I'm writing, yeah. but I feel like <laughs> where does this stuff come from? Like a lot of people will say to me, I don't know how you write fiction, and I don't. I mean, I get, well, I hate the idea of writing nonfiction because like if I, it's funny how much autobiography I can slip into a work of fiction, but if I had to sit down to write a memoir, I would just say no. So, I just feel like stuff is just coming to me all the time. And if I take characters that are like me or a dog that's like the dog in this book, everything that happens is still pretty much made up. And so that that sort of dream I like being an waking dream, just writing.
2: yeah, and i'm I, i'm I'm very aware of that sense that particularly now there does seem to be a kind of cascade of terrible things pandemic yeah. gun gun violence a political system unraveling and that everyday sense of unreality is is why I think I'm drawn to the, to the, to the affect of, of reading Alison's, you know, mind and and life and why it feels so true, even though Mm. obviously there are parts of it that you know, feel like they're detached from reality. That feels realer to me, and it does feel mm-hmm. of of a piece of this moment. And you know, even though there's there's lots of ways where where this book could be written in a lot of moments, it does feel very much of of our time. Very nice. Um, the, the novel mm-hmm. that preceded this one is such a political novel. It, it really is about kind of coming to coming to terms in some way with uh, the trump presidency yeah but but did you feel like as you were writing it that this this was a novel of its particular moment
0: i know that i felt that way with very nice um and i know that i had some readers that were like new to marcy giovanski books and they're like why is the politics in this book it got them really angry because i wrote like this crazy soap opera and then i put politics into it um but for this book, I don't I don't think I knew it was of the moment. I think I knew, like, it's a freak accident that Allison loses her house and she doesn't live on the beach. Like, her beach house is about two or three blocks away from the beach. But I think that right now, if you do buy a beach house, by the way, you're just... <laughs> the chances of getting unlucky are really good. I've been actually reading yeah. this half- after i wrote the book not before pictures of people who have bought beach houses in north carolina on those those like shelter islands Mm -hmm. and they literally are buying houses that are already on stilts and then they're surprised when when a hurricane gets them and i'm like really Hmm. you know so um so maybe that's another reason not to buy a beach house
2: (laughs) see it's (laughs) it's so lucky that you and i will never be able to afford a beach house yeah
0: That's true. I mean, I think I, I live in New Jersey. I live, I give months in New Jersey. And I, you know, it feels like weather-wise, like I'm not going to be, I mean, who knows, you know, I'm just jinxing my whole future, but I feel like I'm safe from wildflowers. I, there are hurricanes. I moved into my new, I actually bought a house. And the first week I lived there, there was Hurricane Ida and so much mm-hmm. of this town got flooded and, and I didn't. So I got a good house. Um, that was lucky yeah i forgot what the question was chris
2: (laughs) (laughs) no no i mean you answered it okay our our, uh our luck at not having beach houses (laughs) so
0: i guess that that oh yeah that was the question was like whether this book was meant to be of the Mm times. and i mean i think i mean i think this it isn't in the book um one thing that people haven't been really talking about a lot and it's really really minor is um Ashley Judd is, plays a little part in this book. And yeah, that's right. So that, yeah, that's sort of an Ashley Judd, act, I feel like, is really, really crucial in the whole Me Too movement and bringing Har- Harvey Weinstein to some kind of justice. And and so she's in there, and I kind of refer to that. And so it's a cultural reference, and I just feel so terrible what happened to Ashley right now. I almost feel guilty that she's in my book. Um but, well, I mean, what you're do- yeah.
2: what you're doing with her is, I, mm-hmm. I, I think, quite wonderful because she she was immediately a part of that movement, but then I think really forgotten, really sh- sort of shuffled off the. It is true, um, isn't it? the 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 main consciousness about yeah. the Me Too movement, but I mean her her career, which was star studded, was completely destroyed and, yeah. and and steamrolled by him. And and I'm glad that you're giving it a place in in a longer historical arc by putting it in the novel.
1: Well, thanks.
2: So, uh, Alison's brain injury
1: mm-hmm. definitely
2: warps her perception of the world, while I think also. So. Yeah. <laughs> <While> also, <laughs> ironically, giving her some insight into herself that she might never have had otherwise. Was the head trauma always part of the novel in your early conceptions of Hurricane Girl?
0: Yeah, yes and no. I mean, it was always in the first draft. It didn't have to come back and be put back in. Um Like, I think I told you that I don't, I like my writing to be easy. I've never written a historical novel because I just don't want to do the research. And if something interests me enough, I don't ever want to say never. And I'm willing to do it. But with, with head trauma, I don't know much about head trauma. And I don't know much about what happens when you have brain surgery. And so I definitely did research, online research and you know, the, there's a part about her in the hospital, waking up, sitting up because of the swelling. And, and, and I learned that. And so it was always in there. And then, but I didn't know I was going to do that until I did that. That was just like, it's not necessarily check off. But when I feel like whenever you write a novel, it's almost any detail you put in there, you're going to end up using. So whatever you put in ends up meaning something later. So I had her be a, a, a screenwriter of horror, of a horror film. And I didn't know that. But once I did that, I was typing, I'm like, oh, my God, I could make horror in the book. It was just so fun. Like, you have these aha moments when you're writing. And so then something that would happen in a horror film happens to her because she's in a horror film. But then once she got hit on the brain, then I was like, oh, I have to do research. That sucks. Mm. But it was okay. <laughs> so that was always going to happen.
2: Did you end up liking it? Or was it was it just a pain to to
1: have if to learn It was
0: fine. If, it wasn't so much what I was worried about here. I'm opening myself up right now. And it could—I mean—the book hasn't come out yet, but I'm really—I actually am worried about people saying, "No, this wouldn't happen," or "Oh, you got this wrong." And that I think that's inevitable when you write a book that people are going to find something to correct, and they're—they're probably going to be right. Like I didn't want to go too technical, but I—I mean, so what I'm saying is, I didn't—I didn't get lost in hours and hours of research. And I mean, one of the things I did with with brain with brain injuries and. This is just like admitting to something is um I work as a developmental editor. I I, I read people's novels and memoirs and I fix them. That's like my job because I haven't figured out other skills besides writing. And I, I got an offer to edit a memoir. And I mainly don't do memoirs. I mainly I mainly work on novels. And it was about her being on vacation in Hawaii and her son's traumatic brain injury. And if she's listening to this, sorry. But I was like, oh my God, I have a book about traumatic things. <laughs> And so I read it and, and, and I didn't like to take a lot. I mean, things were very different, but there was just like this one tiny little detail in her book about how any doctor her son ever saw Would just hold up a light to his eyes and say, "Look this way, look this way, look this way." I was like, "Wow!" And I used that all through the book. And so that, Mm -hmm. in a way, I don't know if that would be considered unethical. I mean, I did a good job on her book, and she was really happy, and (laughs) I got some really great details from it. So
2: I, I I think that seems like a fair trade to me. Okay,
0: (laughs) but I didn't. I didn't let her know, you know, like full disclosure. But (laughs) I mean, I think that's just life. I think. I don't know if other people have told you this, but like, as a writer, people are always asking me, like, are you going to write about me? And I just think, wow, if you know a writer, like the last thing you ever want is for them to write about you. You Mm -hmm. just don't, Mm -hmm. you don't know what they're going to say or what they're going to use and what they're going to remember. And I feel like all writers are really thieves. Like everything, everything is up for grabs and hopefully we can just change it enough to not hurt people that we love. But yeah, so everything, like a book I edit or like a trip. Last two years, three four years ago, I went on a trip to Miami. It was completely for fun. And it was just a fun vacation. I went with a friend and we had a great time. And then I write this book and, and the main character Allison goes to Miami with her boyfriend. And all of a sudden they're looking at pelicans. Like I stole from my trip. Like I didn't know mm-hmm. I was gonna do that. And so, yeah. And so yeah. if I ever take a vacation, I might want to tax it as a business trip because it's all this
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And 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 to yeah. your point about not wanting to be written about by novelists, I think you're 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 more likely to end up in the novel if there's something uniquely Kind of either bad or annoying or yeah. or you know oddball about you that maybe you don't n- quite understand about yourself and would have mm-hmm. to understand in a in a new light if you end up
0: yeah mm-hmm. i mean one i find of the- it interesting people don't always recognize themselves when they do write when you do write about them which is just something about self-awareness so mm-hmm. i've had that happen but what were you gonna say
2: i was just gonna say that y- you know you have a tendency towards Uh, women characters who behave in ways either outside of societal or cultural expectations or expectations for gender. Bad Marie, which is a, a, a novel that... That I love very much. Um, It's your second novel and it it features one of the most amazingly badly behaved women in contemporary literature. She's the most unlikely nanny in history. A woman, Barb Johnson described as, quote, a husband-stealing, baby-snatching, underachieving (laughs) uh, ex-con, which I think is one of my favorite reviews. Uh, Mm -hmm. Your fiction is Full of women behaving badly, but calling them bad is sort of a dodge. You seem to be writing characters that demand, in a very serious way, to be treated like full human beings, not constricted to the limited set of stereotypical behaviors and feelings to which female characters are so often chained. They want to be able to break rules and conventions and types. Alison is unchained in a way that's quite different from Marie, but still counter to expectations for her and her gender. What's your relationship to this idea of women behaving badly?
0: I do it a lot. And I don't like the whole idea with bad Marie and the title of bad Marie is that in my mind, the title is also just the opposite. She's also good Marie. I don't Mm -hmm. know why. I don't know how it felt, but I actually... People, I mean, she's been written about as like one of those unsympathetic characters, and I I love her. So it's just funny, because I think she's, I mean, I think at her core, and she does all of the things we say. She does, she's good. And I think, I think bad might be more interesting. I think women are supposed to behave well, like men are allowed to get angry, and that's okay. And when women get angry, they're hysterical. mm um, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But I feel like sometimes, like if somebody, a lot of times, if if my thoughts, if I had like a thought bar running in my head and people could see what I was thinking, I would just get in trouble all the time. <laughs> it would just be, I would, it would just be so scary. But I feel like with me, I'm always doing tiny, small, bad transgressions, and like, I'm not going to get caught for them because I hate getting into trouble mm-hmm. and they bring me small bits of pleasure. And I don't know, like, I think, I think in terms of characters being interesting, it would, it, you can't write an interesting book if everybody behaves well. And since I'm mainly writing about women, I mean, in Very Nice, some mother steals her daughter's, her daughter's boyfriend, even, you know, but she pretends she doesn't <laughs> know. Like, that's pretty awful behavior. That's really terrible that she does that.
2: Oh, yeah, she, that definitely yeah. that, that's on the list of no-nos okay. I
0: yeah that's a pretty that's a pretty big one so I, I mean i guess i'm trying to write interesting fiction and i guess i'm kind of what i love to do as a writer i once tried to i actually tried to i had this idea that i would turn bad into into a screenplay, and i didn't get very far i just quit because yeah i don't like to work hard and because screenplays <laughs> are they are really about it's all dialogue when you sit down to write one there's like I guess if you wanna you can do voiceovers, but if you wanna describe things, there's literally no room for it. And and all I, I love even I don't have to write in the first person, I like the third close person. I I just love to be in people's heads. Like I think especially with Hurricane Girl, but they're just sinking all of the time and, and Yeah. So you can't do that with a screenplay, but that's what I really love about writing. And I think, I think most of our thoughts are secret and thank goodness for that.
2: Yes. Um, Yeah. I'm very, (laughs) I'm very against the thing you describe a ticker tape with our, (laughs) with our thoughts on it. I think, I think we would all be in some trouble. A lot of Um, trouble. And, you know, the, I think in my recent conversation with Elif Batuman, she talked about mm-hmm. you know how much she enjoys being in that headspace of the character, right. and precisely because it's a it's a part of the other that we never get to see. We mm-hmm. don't ever get to open up somebody's head in that way, even intimates to us. Yeah. And so I think that is that's the power of the novel, and right. so I can see why the the screenplay was you know, less called less to you than that secret yeah. insight into the in inside of someone's head.
1: Thanks. Yeah.
2: I so I, I love a really good fuck-up-a-wedding scene. Yeah, and oh, you've yeah. got a fabulous one in this novel. They just, weddings mm-hmm. are are sit there waiting to be destroyed by bad behavior. <laughs> they and, really do. And Alison prompts a poorly timed discussion of karma and the Holocaust with one of the <sighs> bridesmaids, leaving her weeping and re- requiring comforting by the bride. Did you have fun imagining how to sabotage a wedding?
0: I, I did I actually really did and I also felt really nervous doing it because I've been I've been a bridesmaid before and and I didn't behave as I was supposed to because I hadn't been to very many and I wasn't prepared for what a bridesmaid was supposed to do nobody <laughs> told me yeah and so I didn't have a toast ready nobody told me like I think I'm supposed to know but I you didn't need know to watch more was...
2: rom coms <laughs>
0: that's the problem is I don't I think I like the wedding crashers that Owen Wilson know. <laughs> But but I mean, the whole karma idea was I was just talking to my sister. I was, gonna, and she just, I was just stuck, and she's like, write about karma. Write about how people die in the hospital. Like, she literally told me what to do, and so I was like, okay. Like, she didn't know what I was going to do, but so I just took her idea because I needed to write what was next. And it was fun, but I also worry. I mean, sometimes I worry about getting in trouble. Like, I could just think of one particular person whose wedding I didn't behave well at. Like, if they read that, I hope they don't recognize it. They might, you know what I mean? But it was fun. But but I've always just sort of had like this strange moral qualm about celebrations and, and how much money people spend on them. And people should be able to spend their money how they want. But sometimes when I'm feeling particularly broke and I just go to a wedding, wow, I could live off of this for a year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm like, yeah. I'm like so – was that like morally annoying or just like, yeah, very superior? I don't know. But I just – these celebrations don't really work for me. Like um, I got married at a city hall um, and I didn't mind that. And that's not for everybody, but I, so I really did have fun writing, but I also really was aware of like, I just be careful? I don't know. I just did it anyway. I feel like sometimes it's, that's to me a scary thing about writing is that um, like, this is my material. Do you know what I mean?
1: Um,
2: it's clear to me that Allison's dislike of karma has to do with the idea mm-hmm. that she's somehow a victim of bad karma that causes her yeah. to be abused by the men in her life. Did you want Alison to um, disprove karma to this bridesmaid as a way of separating her from the idea that she was in some fashion responsible for her abuse?
0: I mean, I don't think she could think that in any way that she was responsible. I think she was definitely angry about being put into a situation that she wanted to be. I think in some way she was acting drunk when she 100% wasn't. So that's really interesting too. Most people do behave badly at weddings because they're drinking and she couldn't drink because she thought she could be pregnant. Mm -hmm. But I don't think, I think, I think Alison was figuring it out as she talked. You know what I mean? I don't, I think she was just thinking, well, who deserves this? Like do people deserve to be gassed? No. Um you can't really compare it, but do people deserve to be hit on the head with a vase? Like what did she do to deserve that? Nothing.
1: And mm-hmm. so
0: but she doesn't believe in karma. So I don't I don't think so, but I mean she was kind of like at one point she was contrad- her heads were her thoughts were contradicting herself as if like this bridesmaid does not deserve to go into the elevator and get raped afterwards. You know, I mean nothing mm-hmm. really makes mm-hmm. sense. And I think that in real life, if we try to make sense of anything, I don't know if we can. And some people have. So many bad things happen to them, and some people have lives that are just, you know, just sort of these lovely, pe- yeah. yeah.
2: And and people yeah, come up with these very kind of in super complicated, grand narratives for how to explain yeah. things, but they they often fail at the de- the right. level of detail. Yeah. And as soon as you bring up, you know, a horrific thing, um, karma karma doesn't work
0: very well then. Right. I I it's the phrase is a charmed life, right? Some people live mm-hmm. a charmed life. So. And then they still have it all coming for them. Like, I think you can't avoid people who love dying. I mean, you just, you know, at some point it's going to come get you. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You
2: described Bad Marie as your attempt at writing a French movie along the lines yeah. of a Truffaut film. There's something profoundly American about Hurricane Girl, perhaps the geography and Allison's long, dreamlike road trips. Was there a cinematic influence here as well?
0: Um, I don't think that there was. I, I think sadly is that I've stopped really watching films recently. It's all become like really good television is what I want watch but yeah which is sort of a shame because i think movies take you to a different tighter more controlled dreamlike space but i thought about like i mean it's more like about that north carolina when i wrote this book i thought of a would be i tried to just think of where could she afford a beach house that she could afford if i put it in north carolina and then while i was writing this i had a friend who took a trip it wasn't a childhood memory she took the trip while I was writing this book to North Carolina with nearby friends. And they literally all got into their car at two in the morning and they drove there. And so that is in my book. And I asked her, I asked her, her permission, which I don't always do. I'm like, can I just use that detail? And she, she, she gave it to me. So that was good. Since mm. I, I hope she's going to read my book, but, but it wasn't a cinematic journey in the way that Bat- Bat- Matt was specifically like I had specific, moments in films and I was like this moment I was taking almost like scenes
1: mm-hmm. so
0: yeah
2: what's what's the great tv that you're derive inspiration from right now
0: right I can sometimes go blank I mean what I really use tv for and it was my big it was my big secret and I wrote an essay for it for lit Hub, so it's not but so much of Very Nice was inspired by General Hospital, which is <laughs> Yeah.
2: That's amazing. <laughs> so embarrassing. It's
0: so embarrassing. It was something no, I didn't no, want people great. to ever know. And I get mocked by my daughter by it constantly. But there really was there really was a whole mother daughter having an affair with the same doctor. And it was just so great. And I didn't when I wrote Very Nice, I didn't know that was gonna happen, but it happened in General Hospital. And so I stole that. So I think yeah that was good <laughs> um but so i mean it, you might not want to come to me for television recommendations i'm watching stranger things with nina right now my daughter and that's really fun i just love i just love tv hacks mm-hmm. really good but that wasn't what you asked me either but i do feel like like some of the great talents like um who said nicole i can't pronounce her last name it starts with an h Hollis. um she was like one of my favorite independent i'll look it, um, filmmakers, and she directed all these movies with with Catherine Keener. Mm-hmm. And I think now, if you watch so many times, if you're just watching shows on Netflix, like she's just directing like all my favorite indie filmmakers of like the '90s are all like directing episodes of television right now.
2: It's so true. It really has become yeah. this dominant medium. It sort of has yeah. taken from film in in ways good and and bad. But I yeah. feel like any you know any television that has you know an interesting driving force can be a wonderful um, inspiration to other kinds of work, whether it's general hospital or or yeah. hacks, which you mentioned, or which hacks. I think is or- I, I think is one of the best things on TV right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Or I don't know, like it was, a, it was a show a while ago, it was like called "Board to Death. And that was like made by by um, one of the Coppolas who did, and Rushmore the actors, you know what I mean? It was just like, it was like watching a movie in a TV show.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe that's yeah. why it's so good now, TV, because it is yeah. so much more like cinema than it was before. I think it's it sort a of stolen all
0: the best talents.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: it's true. Yeah. So um, your characters love to swim. They need time in the pool, swimming laps, and avoiding the louder world outside. The pool features Mm. powerfully in the novel that preceded this one, very nice. In that novel, swimming is an exercise, but it's also about desire and becoming a new person. In Hurricane Girl, Alison's yearning to swim is inseparable from her desire for Danny Yang. His apartment pool is an oasis and perhaps the one thing that allows her to feel whole. What is it about swimming pools and the act of swimming itself that appeals to you as a catalyst for discovery in your fiction?
0: Right. Um, yeah, I mean, in Hurricane Girl, I don't think I, I really like the character of Danny Yang, by the way. Like, he's a mm-hmm. there are a lot of bad men in this book, and he's a good one. And some he's people wonderful. Don't he's wonderful. Like, I think he's like, is he good enough for Allison? I'm like, absolutely. Like, if you know, like, yes, I'm, I'm all Danny Yang. Some people <laughs> don't believe that, but if he didn't have a swimming pool, she would have never gone back to you. That's no, true. Ever. It's, it's just true. the truth. He had this pool on a roof and she needed this pool on the roof. And, and right now, I mean, I don't think my local friends may necessarily listen to this podcast right now. I just met somebody. I met somebody last year on, like Labor Day weekend when all the pools were shutting down. And she's like, I have a pool in my backyard. <laughs> and I started swimming in her pool like in September and in October when all the pools were closed and it was still too hot. to. You need to swim, but everything gets closed because there are no lifeguards. And and I'm swimming in her pool again right now while her kids are at school. So nobody really knows that, I, that I'm doing it like because I'm not interrupting her life in any way. I just... I feel like, I mean, I'm going to be really interested in what I'm working on next because I'm not quite sure. I feel like I'm very, there's a whole new trend that's called autofiction. I guess that's <laughs> what it's called now. Yeah. I'm worried I'm worried about going too far into autofiction. Like there's pools in this book and there were pools in Very Nice and they're really, really important as they are to me. And I don't know if I'm going to keep doing that. I hope not. I want to be a little bit interesting. Mm. I know that like I once compared my, do you, remember, do you know with Haruki Murakami, somebody made a funny bingo chart and you were yes. Just supposed to yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you could
2: chick off the, all the tropes yeah. of Morikami. <laughs> <It was so laughs> I love hilarious. that.
0: But part of me just thought, well, well, why not? Like, why not? Like, so when I had Sea Lions in two books, I thought that you can't have sea, someone going to see Sea Lions in two books, and, and she does it in the red car, the main character, and they see go to see the Sea Lions in in Bad Marie, and I was just like, well, Murakami gives me permission to do this, and so. So well, one of the things
2: that, that people love about him is the return to certain tropes that are Thank it doesn't you. make it 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 doesn't make it unoriginal, I don't think. It's yeah. just an important, it's a kind of fingerprint of the fiction, mm-hmm. I think. Um so, and, so
0: that's a form of repetition, so you're for it. So that's nice to hear.
2: Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> am. In my introduction, I describe you as a novelist who can still surprise me. Would you recommend some books that you love and are capable of that kind of literary surprise?
0: The first one, the first and really the only one that came into my head and it came out, it came out last year, was called The Knockout Queen by Luffy Thorpe.
2: Mm, I haven't read this yet.
0: It's so good. I think that's one. Of, I mean, it did get nominated for a PEN Award at the end of the year, but I think that was one of, one of these underrated novels where that novel, I would call it like it's you never know what's going to happen. It's just mm. crazy from beginning to end. And I just love it for that. And at one point, the main character like goes to jail because she attacks somebody, your female character. It was so good. It was So good. Yeah. And so. Um that that's that's the book that that, that springs into my head as like the main example of when you, you really don't know what's gonna happen. And I love that in a book too, right? That you just that you're just like, Oh my god, that's just really fun and it and it works.
2: Yeah, the 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 novels yeah. that do just kind of challenge us in that way are yeah. the ones that last for me. I I mean I've read mm-hmm. many, many beautiful, beautiful novels that I can't remember anything that happened because there was right. enough of a kind of routine to them that yeah. I that they don't last. Um and yeah. so I, I I adore novels that last for
0: yeah. me. I think you'll really, really enjoy that one. So.
2: And, and Hurricane Girl, along with your others, are those kinds of novels for me. And, yeah. and for that reason, and, and for you know joining me today, I'm, I'm grateful to you, Marcy. Thank you so
0: much. Thank you. This has been really fun to talk. Take care. Okay. Take care.
2: Well, that's all from me for now. My thanks to Marcy Dermanski, whose Hurricane Girl, is available today from an independent bookseller near you. You can find links to purchase it and all of our recommended books at the website, burnedbybooks.com. There you'll find all of our previous episodes. If you listen on iTunes or Spotify, I would love for you to leave a rating and a comment. It's very helpful in bringing new listeners to the show. Until next time. This has been Burned by Books.